It was like an inch at the top. Gertie is 93 years old. There's a mask that I have for Halloween that's the Cyclops. It's time for the apple seed. In every episode of the show, we listen to great storytellers tell great stories. And we always hope that the stories we bring you spark memories and thoughts that you can share with the people that you love. That kind of storytelling can entertain, inspire, and strengthen you and your family. I'm your host, Sam Payne. And one of our very favorite things here at The Appleseed is to bring fantastic storytellers from all over the country into The Appleseed studio to perform in front of a live audience. There's a kind of magic that happens when people gather around an entire evening of great storytelling. And obviously, a lot of the magic in a taping like that comes from from the storyteller. But, you know, the spell wouldn't be complete without the audience members. And that's you. The storyteller and the audience feed off of each other's energy and create this wonderful shared experience. And we know you out there listening to this show right now, you may not have been in the studio with us, but you're part of our Appleseed family, wherever you are. And we're so grateful for you listening and subscribing to the podcast for us. There's a kind of magic in that relationship, knowing that you're out there listening, even though you may not be right here in the studio with us. It fills us with energy and purpose as we work on putting this show together. So today, we wanted to do something a little bit special and invite you into the studio with us for one of those storyteller recording sessions. Now, normally... We play a variety of different types of stories on the show. But today, we're going to bring you an entire hour straight from our taping with Grammy-winning Massachusetts storyteller Bill Harley. Now, if you've heard Bill on the show before, then you might already know that he's not only a great storyteller, but he's a musician, too. So let's start off the show today with a little sing-along. Let's head into the studio and get started, shall we? Thank you, thank you. You're too kind. You're too kind. It's great to be here. It's great to be with Sam. Uh, so I write songs and I tell stories, so I'm going to do a little bit of both of that tonight. Actually, I'm not going to write a song. I'm <laughs> sing a song. <laughs> It'd be kind of boring, actually, sitting at the kitchen table. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm going to sing a song. This song I wrote, um, sometimes people say, where do you get your ideas? Well, I usually have a notebook with me, a little pad of paper in case somebody says something. And I was driving somewhere with my wife, and uh, um, I, I was complaining about something. And I was, and my, Debbie tells me I, I whine more than she does, and I think she's probably right. But anyway, I was. I was whining about something, and I said, ah, oh, man, I'm being such a baby about that. And she said, oh, Bill, everybody's a baby about something. I pulled over the car. I said, that's too good. So I wrote down, everybody's a baby about something. And that, so, so that's where this is, song is from, right? My sister likes her butter and noodles. Made in their own special way. If the butter doesn't melt like she likes it, Somebody is going to pay Her bottom lip puffs out You see her start to pout When she's like that There's nothing you can say Cause everybody's a baby about something Wah, 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 wah That's your part (laughs) You guys think you can handle that? I think you can Okay, here we go Everybody's a baby about something. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> You're so good. <laughs> and you out there listening. Okay, I think we're going to move to stage two of, of advanced whining. So here's what we're going to do. Okay, you guys on this side, <laughs> on the right channel, okay, <laughs> or whatever. I want you to do that part. Wah, 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 wah. So let's rehearse. Everybody's a baby about something. Wah, 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 wah. Absolutely disgusting. Great. Okay. And you guys over on this side, over there, I want you to not go down. Wah, 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 wah. I want you to go up. Wah, 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 wah. Okay, so let's just rehearse that. Rehearse that. Everybody's a baby about something. Wah, 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 wah. 
Now we're going to whine in harmony, okay? You guys go down, wah, wah, wah. You go up, wah, 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 wah. That is the minor third. Kodai, the musicologist, referred to it as the children's interval. That's it right there. So you go down, you go up, it'll be a beautiful thing. And you out there listening or watching, you just do whatever you want. Because nobody's going to know. Everybody's a baby about something. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, Something makes everybody whine. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Don't say it's no big deal. That's not the way it feels. Everybody's a baby about something. Sometime. Your part. Wah, wah, wah. My brother has to sit by the window Every time we go to the store He doesn't want to sit in the middle He has to sit by the door As we drive down the street He screams and kicks his feet <laughs> Till you can't take it anymore Here we go! Cause everybody's a baby about something Wah, wah, wah Wah, wah, wah Something makes everybody whine Wah, wah, wah Wah, wah, wah Don't say it doesn't matter It just makes him feel sadder Everybody's a baby about something Sometime Your part Wah, wah, wah Wah, wah, wah don't tell me that the sun is shining. I don't care cause I'm busy whining. Someone scratched my uncle's new pickup. Someone spilled on mom's new rug. My dad got stuck in the traffic. My sister fought, my teacher lost her favorite coffee mug. <laughs> Grandma's, grandpa's, uncle's, aunt's. Kids in diapers, men in pants. They all whine when they get the chance. Here we go. Cause everybody's a baby about something. Everybody. Something makes everybody whine. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Don't say it's no big deal. That's not the way it feels. Don't say it doesn't matter. It just makes us feel better. If you felt like we do, then you'd be whining too. Everybody's a baby about something. Sometime. Last chance. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was everybody's a baby about something. Did you sing along? I sang along. Did you do the wah-wah-wahs? I did the wah-wah-wahs. That really gets at the core of why I love Bill's stories so much. He has this tremendous ability to capture what it really feels like to be a kid. Some people tell stories for kids, but when Bill tells his stories, it's almost like he's telling them as a kid. He's so tuned in to how kids feel and the things that they find important and that empathy for kids and their problems. It's all on full display in this next story. You might call it one of Bill's greatest hits. In fact, I recently saw Bill's wife, Debbie, at a festival, and she told me that this story was kind of a turning point that helped launch Bill into the beloved storytelling figure he's become. Here's Happy Birthday, Mrs. Nottingham, recorded right here in the Appleseed Studio. Thank you, thank you. You know, I spent a lot of time with kids and uh, and their and the people around them. And uh, even when I was a kid, I noticed that uh, kids were different from adults. <laughs> and uh, one of the ways I noticed it, I noticed this almost immediately, and I'm I'm still very aware of it. Is like kids are really into age, and adults really aren't. <laughs> like kids, the first thing a kid will ask is, "How old are you?" 
right? That's like, how old are you? And they're like, you're seven. I'm like, I'm seven and a half. <laughs> you never hear an adult say, I'm 41 and a half. They never do that, right? And I saw that when I was a kid because like you couldn't say, you know, the people would come over to your house, you know, an adult, and you go, how old are you? Just don't ask that. Why not? Don't ask, it's not nice. And because of that, when you're a kid, you don't know what age looks like, right? You know, some are 24 and some are 38 and some are 94, but you don't know what it looks like. And I didn't until I got in third grade and I had Mrs. Nottingham. Now, Ms. Nottingham, she was from the old school. She, was, she went to a normal college and she was a normal teacher and she was, she was tough. She wore a black wool suit on the day in June and she didn't break a sweat. She was there to teach us a lot of stuff, but mostly she was there to teach us, it's a cold, cruel world, boys and girls, and you just better learn that right now. <laughs> It'll be a lot easier if you learn it. For instance, like you'd be trying to learn something, but if you didn't learn it, she'd say, well, that will teach you a lesson. You know, for instance, like we're in third grade, we learn multiplication. Everybody learns multiplication. It must be like genetically encoded in third grade, you know, multiplication. And so you're figuring it out and you can't figure it out and you got to go ask for help. And you're really not supposed to bother a teacher and ask for help because they're always busy doing something. Like she's up there with her grade book, you know. You'd walk up there, you go, Ms. Nottingham. And back then we had these grade books and she would, it's all on computers now, but she'd mark it. It was a grade book and she would cover it over so you couldn't see. She'd say, yes. He'd say, I, I, I can't do this. And she'd snap her pen down. She'd look over those, hard, those half glasses. She'd say, well, I'll tell you what, Mr. Harley. No one, and I mean no one, ever got anywhere without a little hard work. Now you get back to try it again. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks, Ed. All right, because you were learning multiplication, but you were really learning it's a cold, cruel world. <laughs> The most terrifying thing about Ms. Nottingham was she had something that everybody in my class called the claw. And the claw looked like her hand until it went into action. And then it was swift and dangerous. You know, you'd be over in the corner of the room kind of testing the limits of acceptability on something, thinking you were safe because she was attending somebody else when all of a sudden, whap, it'd be around your neck. And she just squeezed tighter and tighter, until she just pinched her head off, fall there in the classroom. She had to go on the intercom and have the custodian come down and put it back on with duct tape. <laughs> duct tape and wood chips, that's all you really need in life. So she, we used to run around the playground, I'm the claw, I'm the claw. <laughs> the weird thing about Ms. Nottingham, and a lot of ad adults too, was that she would move. And I don't mean she'd move from one place to another physically, but that she would do all those things and then she would do something that was nice. And that was confusing. Kids don't really mind if you're strict as long as you just stay in one place, but they want to know what to expect. Because kids think that the world is static. All I do is have to figure out this amount of information and then I will be a grown-up. And actually you're a grown-up when you realize everything is just moving all the time. So, but then Ms. Nottingham would do stuff that didn't make sense. Like she'd do all this, she had the claw and she'd teach it's a cold, cruel world. But every day after recess, she'd say, put your heads on your desks. Put her head in it. She'd say, you sit there. And she had a big red rocking chair. It was the only time she sat in it. And she would read us books. And I still remember the book. She read us Charlotte's Web. She read us the Boxcar Children. The Boxcar Children. Like all great children's literature begins with getting rid of the parents. <laughs> Think about it. You got to get rid of the parents. The parents are done. And she read us Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. And we love Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. It was this reverse psychology, you know? Make a big message you want and you'll grow to hate it. Things like that. But it was weird coming from Mrs. Nottingham, this person who told us that it was a cold, cruel world. When she would read us these books that I still remember today, you know? When, when, when Charlotte died, I still remember that, you know? Now, the other thing that was weird about Mrs. Nottingham to me was she lived on my street, which teachers are just not supposed to do. It's weird when you see a teacher where they don't belong, right? I'd see her out there in the garden weeding in her, in her bathing suit, and it was just like something you should not. Once you see Mrs. Nottingham weeding, you can't unsee it. It's weird. You see them in a supermarket, you know? A kid goes like, the teacher's in the supermarket shopping. The kid comes around the aisle and goes, Hey, I know someone who looks like you. I'm your teacher. 
What are you doing here? I'm buying food. You eat? The whole world shakes when they see you go into the restroom. What's she doing in there? Couldn't be what I do. So I knew she was a real person because she lived on my street. And several times that year, after the bus riders left and the walkers had left, she gave me a ride home. And I would get to stay and help clean up the room, which for some reason was exciting for me. As soon as I walked into the house, it was not long, no longer exciting. But, and I remember that was one, one day I was doing that, and we had had art class, and she taught art. Back then, she was the music teacher and the art teacher. She did everything. And I had these big... Uh, black paintbrushes, and there was a rubber band on each end, and we were putting, I had to put them back in the right place in the cubby hole in the cloakroom. Now, in the classroom, the cloakroom was not a real room itself. It was just a standing wall between it and the rest of the class. And when you put your coats, and there were supplies back there. And I was back in there putting away, and I heard someone come in to the uh, classroom, and I heard the voice, and it was Miss Beeman. It was a teacher that lived next door. And I heard her say, well, Gwen... It was Mrs. Nottingham's first name. I knew that. Well, Gwen, you're coming up on 50, huh? And I thought, coming up on 50, what does that mean? <laughs> she said, oh, I suppose so, but I don't like to think about it happening so fast. And Mrs. Beam said, now, when is your birthday? Is it next Tuesday? And she said, yes, it is, but don't you tell a soul. I don't have room in my class for silly business-like parties. We're here to learn. And I thought, Fifty years old. <laughs> Woo! I'd never known anybody that was fifty years old before. <laughs> Seemed to me Moses was about that old when he died. <laughs> and part of me thought, wait till everybody hears. But then this little voice said, "Bill, if she finds out you know, she'll pinch your head off." I said, "Right. <laughs> I gotta keep quiet. I can't tell anybody." So then Mrs. Beeman left, and I didn't know what to do. I just stayed back in there, right? And finally, Ms. Ms. Nottingham says, Bill, where are you? Where, where are you? I said, I'm here. I came back. She said, what were you doing? I said, not doing anything or listening or anything. <laughs> and she said, let's go. And we walked down the hallway and across the drive. We got into our car, and it's going to date me too, but she'd had it for a number of years. It was a 1959 Nash Rambler with bench seats. And she's driving home like this, you know, and I'm sitting next to her, no seatbelt, sitting in the front seat. And every time, man, I got, could I got a good look at her, you know? It's like just staring at her. <laughs> you couldn't blame me for staring because I'd never seen fifty before, and now I had it. You know, grain hair pulled back in a bun with chopsticks through it, and bright red lipstick. Costume jewelry bracelets on each arm, so she, she kind of waggled them all the time. You know, that's what she looked like. That's what 50 looks like. I said, now this is what all 50-year-olds look like. Now I know what 50 is. And it was a great secret, and I had to keep it, and I did a pretty good job until the next day in the lunchroom. <laughs> For there are no secrets in the elementary school lunchroom. I sit next to my best friend, Tommy Sand. I said, Tommy, he said, what? I said, guess what? He said, what? I said, I can't tell you. <laughs> it's a secret. I said, what is it? I said, I can't tell you. He said, you got to. I'm your best friend. I can't. I can't. You got to. I can't. You got to. I can't. You know what? I said, what? He said, you don't know it. I said, what? You don't know your secret. He said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. If you can say it, you don't know. You can say it, you know it. If you don't say it, you don't know it. You're not saying you don't know it. I said, uh-huh. He said, uh-huh. Uh-uh, uh-huh. I said, Mrs. Nottingham's going to be 50 years old on Tuesday. He said, whoa. My newcomer across the table said, that's how old Moses was when he died. <laughs> Sally Williams said, wait till everybody hears. I said, no. Shh. No, be quiet. No. Don't tell anybody. My life depends on it. <laughs> Cross your heart. Hope to die. Poke a needle in your eye. <laughs> I said, all right. Okay, 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 whatever. Cretans, creeps, turncoats, they betrayed me. <laughs> the next day I knew I was in trouble because everybody in the classroom was talking to. And, and before, you know, during the morning work, and Amy Carpenter was kind of the self-appointed class organizer. 
came up and said, I think Ms. Nottingham ought to have a birthday party. And I said, no, that's a bad idea. She said, why not? I said, because Ms. Nottingham hates birthdays. She said, why? I said, I don't know. Something happened to her. <laughs> she said, I think that's ridiculous. I know, I tried to stop it, but they organized the biggest birthday party Delaware Trails Elementary School had ever seen. Amy got the kids in the class to make 50 birthday cards. And, and Sally Williams said she's gonna get her mom to make a cake and they're gonna put 50 candles in it. <laughs> Two boxes of candles in, and, and Amy had friends over at her house and they got those old stencils and imagining markers that you'd get a high on and the shelf paper. And they made this banner they were gonna hang over the front chalkboard and said, Mrs. Nottingham is 50 years old today. And I kept saying, stop it, she hates birthdays. And they said, don't be silly, everybody loves birthdays. And I said, no, this is Nottingham, something happened to her. <laughs> what, I don't know, maybe she threw up on her birthday, I don't know. <laughs> so finally, Tuesday rolled around and I woke up in the morning and I remembered what day it was. I had stomach aches all the time before I went to school. And I decided I had a stomach ache. I said, Ooh. Mom, Mom. She came and looked, she said, get up. <laughs> Mom, I'm sick. Get up. Mom, if you're sick, you can call me from the nurse's office. I don't like the nurse. I know that, get up. My mom was a writer. She wanted me out the door so she could work. So I walked down the street. I got on a bus. Three stops later, Sally Williams came running down the aisle, sat next to me. She said, I got a cake and cookies too. What do you have? I said, nothing, because Mrs. Nottingham hates birthdays. She said, don't be stupid. Everybody loves birthdays. I said, not Mrs. Nottingham. Something happened to her. We got into school, man. It was like the day before vacation. You know, we were all wired. And Mrs. Nottingham is, what is wrong with you children? <laughs> And Amy Carpenter, she was not afraid of talking to grownups. So she went and talked down to the secretary, talked to the secretary, so that that afternoon at 2.15, this announcement came over the PA system. <laughs> Ms. Nottingham, can you please come down to the office? <laughs> we got something we want you to say. And Ms. Nottingham always talked to the intercom like it was a real person. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, you're looking nice too. I'll be right down. And then she turns to us like it was a private conversation. I have something I have to sign in the office. Oh, I'll be right back. Nobody move, no one breathe. Amy, you come sit here at my desk and take down the name of anyone that breathes. She walked across the room. She stopped at the door. She said, children, not a sound. And you know I mean it out the door, down the hallway, her high heels echoing like gunshots, fading off in the distance. Soon as we heard them disappear, and he said, let's get ready. She turned off the light, everybody opened up the desk, they took out the cards, Silent took out the cake, she brought out, the, she brought matches, matches! She brought matches into school! <laughs> we're all going, we know how to light matches, we've lit matches before, and we're fighting, and, and they're hanging a banner over the chalkboard, and Teddy Dunn and three or four other guys in maker paper, paper gliders, and standing on the desk and throwing them, because it seems like the right thing to do, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, somebody says, Everybody be quiet, she's coming back. Shh, be quiet, everybody be quiet. Shh, be quiet. Why is it so noisy in here? It's quiet, shh, shh. And finally, we settled down. And those footsteps stopped right outside the door. She stepped in and then we flipped on the switch. We said, happy birthday, you're 50. And then someone got an idea. They started to count. One, two, three, four. Oh, we all joined in. We were third graders. That was nothing. Five, six, seven. It was a long way to 50. Nine, 10, 11, 12. About 13 or 14 kids start dropping out. They're 15, 16, 17. There's like eight boys going 19, 20, 21. Finally, there's three kids going 22, 23. One boy says 24, 25. And that was as far as anybody got. Because <laughs> when you looked at Miss Nottingham, you realized 
a serious mistake had been made. She did not seem happy about it. She glared at the class. She stalked across the front of the room. We were looking up over her head. She said, Oh, for pity's sake, who told you this? For one brief and shining moment, they all held out. And they said, Bill did! It's his fault! You can have him! We don't care about him anymore! And she said, Bill, you come up here right now. I said, I have to go to the nurse's office. She said, you come up here right now. And I walked up and she got bigger and bigger and bigger. Never forget how big five foot two is to a third grader. And I looked up at her and she looked down at me and I saw it. The claw. I felt it wrap around my neck. It was tighter and tighter. I think it's too young. Oh, too young. And all of a sudden I realized it wasn't her hand. It was tight. It was just my neck. I looked up at her. And she was looking out at the class. The class was holding the cards and Sally Williams was holding the cake that was only half lit because we'd been fighting over the matches and <laughs> Teddy Dunn was standing on the desk with a glider in each hand, realizing it was not a good place to be, but maybe if he didn't move, no one would notice. <laughs> and I felt her loosen her grip and I looked up at her and she was looking down at her hand. And I heard her say under her breath, Whose hand is this? Oh. Yes, class, it is my birthday. And, and you've given me a party. I, I don't remember. I don't remember the last time I had a party here in school. Thank you. But class, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm not 50. I, I'm just 49. And she got the chalk and she wrote it backwards because she could. 49. And Teddy said, one, two, three. Teddy Dunn, what are you doing standing on that desk? I don't know. Do you know your mother and father paid good money for that desk? You get down from there right now. She got off. He got off the desk. And then Miss Nottingham walked over and she sat down at her desk and she straightened herself out. She folded her hands on her desk and she said, now, where's a piece of cake for the birthday girl? <laughs> and that's what I remember about Mrs. Nottingham. Bill Harley with Happy Birthday, Mrs. Nottingham. I love that story so much. It makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It makes me remember my own elementary school experience and some of the people that were important to me during that experience. Now, we originally played that story back in episode six of season two of The Appleseed, and you can find that episode and every past episode of the show at byuradio.org, on the BYU Radio app, or by Googling The Appleseed podcast. I'm Sam Payne. Lots more from Bill Harley coming up. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's Hour of the Appleseed. Hopefully you're getting a little taste of what it's like to be in the audience, live in the Appleseed studio, for one of our tapings with a great storyteller. It's one of our favorite things to do, bring storytellers from all over the country right into our little studio for live performances before our terrific studio audience. And these stories from Bill Harley, they're filled with memories of childhood, and it's likely that something 
thing you'll hear today will remind you of your own childhood. And if that happens, then we encourage you to share that memory with the people that you love when you're together around the living room or the kitchen table. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. And now, at these storytelling tapings, occasionally I like to get in on the act myself. Here's a story and a song that I shared in that taping with Bill Harley. I'm going back now to the time when I was 12 years old, the very first time I ever danced with a girl. There was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a church dance going on on a February night, and so I got my pal Darren Dibb, and we went down to the church for a dance. You had to be 14 to go to the dance, and we were a hearty 12 apiece. And we walked up to the church, and we kicked the snow off of our shoes. It was a deep snow night, a Christina Rossetti kind of night, you know, snow falling, snow on snow. And we kicked our shoes off and into the church. We went, we drew ourselves up to our full heights and lowered our voices and no one was the wiser and in we went. Well, I had never danced with a girl before, but almost immediately I saw the little girl I wanted to dance with. She was not from my congregation. She was not even from my town. She was from far away and exotic Riverton. (laughs) I had permission from my folks to be out until 9.30 that night. 9.30 rolled around. And I had not yet asked that little girl to dance. Well, darned if I was going to go home without having asked her to dance. So, 10.30 rolled around. Finally, at quarter of 11, second to the last song of the night, I wiped the sweat from my palms, and I went over and I asked her to dance. And darned if she didn't come out onto the floor with me, she said yes. Out onto the floor we went, and we danced after the fashion of our day, which was that we touched the tips of our fingers together. And we swayed back and forth, looking pretty much anywhere but at each other, if we could manage it. And in the middle of that dance, I saw my dad walk into the church gym. And he wasn't wearing his dancing clothes. He was, he was wearing his boy fetching clothes, you know, his long winter parka and, and a wool cap pulled down over his eyebrows and moon boots up to his knees. And he didn't come out onto the floor and yank me off of it. It would have been his prerogative to do just that. But instead, he pulled up a folding chair and he sat by the wall of the church gym and watched me dance, which, as you can imagine, was infinitely worse. <laughs> That dance, that dance wrapped up and I hung my head and I went over to my father and we went out and got in a car and we drove home and it was a silent drive home, that mile between the church and our house. But that silence, that silence, that silence due to the fact that my parents thought I was dead in a snowdrift somewhere was enough of a punishment because all I wanted to do was tell somebody how much fun it was to dance with a girl. That's all I wanted with my little heart. Well, I hadn't thought about that in years and years and years, and then darn if my second son didn't become a ballroom dancer. He walks out onto the floor, he holds out his hand. A beautiful girl comes and takes him by the hand, spins around, and they move together like water flowing, and I cheer my fool head off, and I think for a moment that maybe all those years ago, that silence of my father's wasn't due to anger at all. Maybe it was reverence, you know, before a rite of passage, right? <laughs> I mean, he comes down to the church to fetch his naughty little boy and instead watches his oldest son do the man's work of taking a young woman out on the floor and dancing with her. Then I come to my senses, he was just mad. (laughs) And here's a song about that first dance so long ago. Snowfall, February wind I kick my shoes as I go on in And the light's all down on a church gym Oh, Young thing like I never seen, dark hair straight from a magazine in town with a cousin Gwendolyn. Oh, and high school boys all through the hall, pulling girls from every wall. They spin them round with steady hands and poker faces. And all at twelve, I'm standing there, snowflakes melting in my hair. Calm me down, all my feet are in their places. Music. 
Movies, little ones. Music, movies, little ones. Music, movies, little ones. In a dance. Like my first day, I never move my legs that way. Uh, take her hand, I guess they'd say, and I did. Oh, 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 bright lights on her dark hair. My daddy waiting in the winter air with a car all running, but I don't care. Oh, 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 oh. and like one moment in the sun, three whole minutes come and gone. The boy whose daddy dropped him off ain't coming home. And I may do the best I can to live my life like other men, but I'll never dance this way again. Won't you come on, pop song? Movies, little ones. Music, movies, little ones. Music, movies, little ones. In a dance. See, be dancing with a girl from over Riverton. Cause this February night ain't coming back again Once I let it in Snowfall February wind I kick my shoes as I go on in And the lights all down on the church gym Oh No, 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 no A story I call The Girl from Riverton. You know, I'm fond of saying that you never know what's going to spark a memory, and you never know what memory it's going to spark. And in our taping with Bill Harley, we had a really fun moment where that very thing happened. Here's a tiny little unplanned story from Bill that came right after I shared that story about The Girl from Riverton. Thank you. I got a story I want to tell you, but first I got a little story in response to Sam's, which is about being the dad. And the first time we, I let my older son Noah, now he's in his 30s now, I did what I could. Uh, <laughs> the first time we let him take the car out on a date. And I said, you got to be home by 10.30. He said, no problem. <laughs> 10.30 comes, goes. 11 comes and goes. 11.30 comes and go. 12 comes and goes. This is before this. He doesn't have a cell phone. I'm beside myself. Wife, Debbie's beside herself. She's beside me, too. Anyway. <laughs> 12.45, he pulls in. I am livid. I get up. I'm steaming. She says, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. But I'm going down there now. And I came down the stairs, and I stood at the door, and he opened up the daddy, the door, and he said, Dad, I'm sorry. And I said, I didn't know where you were. <laughs> I was so worried. And he said, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, <laughs> he said, Dad, I will never do it again. I promise. I said, okay. I went back upstairs. I got in the bed. Deb said, how, how'd it go? I said, pretty good. <laughs> Shouldn't do that too much, but every once in a while it works. <laughs> a tiny little bonus story from Bill Harley, recorded live in the Appleseed studio. We hope you're enjoying this entire hour with the great storyteller, Bill Harley. And if you are, then you may also enjoy another project we've been cooking up with him. It's a new audio drama series called Quentin Manning, Detective for Justice. It's all about a middle school kid who fancies himself a detective and, of course, takes it upon himself to solve mysteries at his middle school. The series was written by Bill, and he even pops up as a voice actor in some of the episodes. And you'll be able to find the first two installments of Quentin Manning in episodes 27 and 28 of season two of The Appleseed. Lots more coming up from Bill Harley on The Appleseed. Thank you.
I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you here on The Appleseed for an hour of stories with Bill Harley. Kind of a special episode, if you want to know. These stories were all recorded live in The Appleseed studio with our terrific live audience. And we'd like to thank you for being a terrific audience, too, wherever you are. We wanted to spend this hour kind of inviting you into the studio with us. And we hope you've enjoyed this special hour. And before we go, we've got one last story for you. It's a traditional tale from Scotland, and it's called The Cow That Ate the Piper. Here's Bill Harley, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. So I'm going to tell you a story that I don't tell very much, but I love this story. I learned it from a storyteller named Richard Walker uh, from, uh, from Great Britain. And uh, Richard died 10 or 15 years ago. And I've, I've carried this story with me for a long time. And I've just told it a couple times recently. Um, there, there was a fellow, his name was Willie McPhee. And he played the pipes. He played the, the big pipes, you know, the war pipes that scare everybody. And scare, he played the Yulian pipes, the one you put under your arm and kind of squeeze like that. And whenever he would run into somebody, he, he would play for the pleasure of their ears. And he'd play for a place to stay. He'd say, my name is Willie McPhee. I'm the finest of pipers. And if you give you a hot meal and a place to rest my head, I'll be happy to play for you. And everywhere he went, the doors opened for Willie McPhee. And so he finally decided he was going to take a tour of the whole island. So he left, he left Scotland. He worked all the way down through the highlands, through the lowlands. And he came into the eastern part of East Anglia. And he played. And everywhere he p- played, he would say, my name's Willie McPhee. I'm the finest of pipers. If you'd give me a hot meal and a place to lay my head, I'll be happy to play for you. And the doors opened all the way down into London, all the way out to Cornwall, all the way up through Wales. And as he walked, his clothes grew more ragged and he wore holes in the knees of his pants and the elbows of his jacket and the soles of his shoes, but still the doors opened to him. And now he was headed home and the weather had turned and it was winter and he came to Yorkshire and he hoped that the people would open up their doors and he wondered about their hospitality. But as it happened, he found himself one night not finding a place and the weather turned and the snow began to fall and he was alone on the road and the snow was piling up, and he thought, Willie McPhee, what's going to become of you? And as he wandered down the road, he tripped over something. He looked down, and it seemed to be a log, this frozen log in the middle of the road, covered up with snow. He said, some poor carriage, some poor cart's going to run over this. A horse is going to break its leg. I better pull it out of the way. Well, he dusted it off to pull it off the road, and he saw it wasn't a log at all. It was a body frozen to the ground. And he said, this poor fella, least I can do is drag him off the road so people aren't running over him. He pulled him off the road and as he pulled him, he had a hold of his feet and he looked down and on that poor fella's feet were these brand new brown boots. They looked as soft as leather and he looked at his poor shoes. They were flapping in the wind and the snow was seeping through the bottom every time the leather bottom opened up. And he looked at those boots and he said, you know, those boots look like they might fit me. They're not doing this fella any good. So he knelt down there on the side of the road there in the dark with the snow pouring down and he tried to pull them off. But wouldn't you know, they were frozen to his legs. It just seemed a horrible thing to leave those boots where nobody could use them. Now it just so happened that he had a little tool bag that he used to fix his pipes. And in that tool bag, there was a wee little saw. And he looked at the fellow, he said, I'm sorry, but at least your boots are going to be doing so good. So there with the snow coming down, he took that saw and he, he just made a little cut. And you know, it wasn't that hard to cut because the legs were kind of frozen. It wasn't bloody or anything, so don't be upset about it. 
And when he got those boots off with the, with the legs in them, he tied a little string around and he hung them crosses behind his neck and he walked down and he said, well, if the weather either breaks, breaks and I can get these feet out of the boots, I'll have some new boots. <laughs> well, he hadn't walked very far, just another mile or two, when up on the distance on the left, far up on a hill, he saw a little croft, a little farm, and he saw a little light coming out of a window. He said, Willie McPhee, you're a lucky man. There might be a place to stay. So he waded through the snow. Before he knocked on the door, he thought he ought to take a look in the window. And the light coming out of the window was golden and warm and inviting. And he came up and he kind of wiped the frost off and he looked inside. Oh, it was so comfy. There was a big fire burning in the fireplace and there was a man and a woman and they were just sitting down at the table and they had these pots of this hot stew with the steam rising off and his mouth started to salivate and he said, oh, Willie McPhee, you're a lucky man because you're going to find a place to lay your head tonight. So he went over and boom, 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 knocked on the door. Nobody answered. He said, surely they'll hear me. Boom, 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 boom. He knocked on the door and finally the door was flung open. There was a big man looking down and said, what do you want? He said, my name's Willie McPhee. I'm the finest of pipers. If you give me a hot meal and a place to lay my head, I'll be happy to pay for you. And then play for you, not pay for you, play for you. <laughs> I don't have any money, I can't pay you. <laughs> and the man said, I'm not interested. Boom, shut the door in Willie's face. Well, he said, how could he be doing that, leaving me out on a cold night like that? So he pounded on the door again. The man opened and said, you're still here. What do you want? He said, I want to play the pipes. I'm Willie McPhee. I'm the finest of pipers. I'll play for you. The man said, I hate the pipes. Boom, shut the door in his face. Whoa. Willie couldn't believe it. The man was going to leave him out there to freeze and die there. He pounded on the door. The man said, I told you to leave. What do you want? He said, please, I don't want to freeze to death. Give me a place. And the man said, oh, there's no room in the house. If you want, you can go back there in a the barn. You can curl up in the hay up there in the loft. My wife will come out if there's any food. She's going to check on the cow in a little while. So you can just go out and curl out there. Maybe she'll bring some food out to you. Now don't come here again and shut the door. Willie couldn't believe it. But at least he'd be out of the snow. So he waded through the snow. He pulled the door open in the snow. He closed it behind him. And there was the cow, Bessie, curled up in the corner. She was all curled up and lying down. Her head was turned around, almost like a dog curls up. And she was asleep, but she was chewing on a cud like that. Chewing on the cud. Willie sat down. He said, what am I going to do with these boots? Well, you know, Bessie was like a big furnace. So he took those boots from off his shoulders and he stuck them under Bessie. And he sat there and he waited a little while. 10 or 15 minutes later, he pulled those boots out. The legs had thawed. He pulled those legs out. He took his old boots off. He put the new ones on. Oh, they fit like a glove. He thought of that fellow and he said, thank you very much. Then he's looking at that fellow's poor legs. He looked at his shoes. He said, I bet those shoes will fit those feet. <laughs> so he put his old shoes on that man's poor legs. Then he looked at Bessie, chewing on her cud. And he got an idea. And he took those two legs and he stuck them right in her mouth. There she was. <laughs> and then Willie McPhee climbed up in the loft. <laughs> and he waited a little bit <laughs> and he heard somebody trudging through the snow and he heard the door being forced open in the snow and he heard the woman say hi best oh my gosh <laughs> oh my goodness she said John John the cow is at the piper <laughs> John came waiting to the snow. What are you talking about, woman? Look, those are his boots. He said, oh, you know, you're right. If they find out about us, there's no telling. We're going to have to bury what's left of them right now. So they dragged those legs out and they waded out in the field in the snow and they got a shovel. And there in this blizzard, they dug a hole and they buried those two poor legs in there and they covered it back over and they went back to their house. Willie climbed down out of the loft and he started thinking. He waited another 10 minutes. 
Then he got out those big war pipes. And he tuned them up. He waded out into the snow, got to the place where those legs were, and he tuned up those pipes, and that snow was pouring down on him, cover him up, his head, his shoulders, the pipes, and he started to play. And I wasn't there, but they say that was Willie McPhee's finest concert. He played louder than he'd ever played before. And that man and woman were about to go to bed. They were about to retire when the woman said, what is that sound? And they looked out the window and standing out there was a white figure playing the pipes. And the man said, it's the ghost of the piper. He's come to haunt us. We got to get out of here. And they grabbed what little things they could, stuck them in a bag, and they waded down the road and would never see again. And Willie put those pipes back in his bag, waded through the snow, came into the house, found a hot bowl of stew. He sat down in front of the fire, roasting his shins, saying, aren't I a lucky man? And he was just finished on his meal. He's finally getting warm when there was a knock on the door. He said, who could be out on a night like tonight? So he opened the door and there's this short little fella saying, I'm looking for a place to stay. He said, you poor fella out here in the night like this, come in and warm your feet. And the man said, yeah, well, there's a problem with that. <laughs> and that's the story of the cow that ate the piper. <laughs> <laughs> the Cow That Ate the Piper, told for you by Bill Harley, a traditional tale to round out a full hour of stories from Bill. You may not have been able to join us in our live studio audience, but we appreciate you being a member of our podcast audience. You're an important part of the Appleseed family. Please rate us and leave us a little review. It helps spread the word of mouth, and who knows, we might just read your comment here on the show. We are pleased and proud to be among the many shows in the BYU Radio family of programs. You can find this episode or any episode from our archive on the BYU Radio app at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed podcast. Thanks to the great storyteller, Bill Harley, for joining us in the Appleseed studio and for sharing his terrific stories and songs with our terrific studio audience and with you. You can find him online at billharley.com. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. <laughs>